My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? Promethean lie has been told that technology is external, cold, and metallic. This Saturnian tech has usurped our awareness as it attempts to siphon the God-given organic Gaia consciousness link that once united the creative and active forces of this realm. The natural forces and elements are conscious forms that interact with those whose karma is deserving. Those who can guide these tutelary energies back into right relationship in order to tame the wild outcomes of the storm sphere and convict them to their proper role. Today's guests are biodynamically blazing their own path towards greater symmetry and harmony with our natural world. Dr. Bear Lando and Mike Winner of Alpha Vedic join me, Mystic Mark, here on the My Family Picks Some Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode with Dr. Bear Lando and Mike Winner. Down to disconnection, disconnection from spirit, from source, from self. And there unfortunately are occulted circles that try to hack the system, try to take a shortcut around who they really are. You know, some would relate that all the way back to the quote unquote fall of man. Uh, and we've been sort of dealing with the repercussions of this ever since. And, you know, it really just comes down to the Great Awakening, which I feel is happening right now. I feel like there is a split in sort of, I hate to say the whole 5D thing, because that's overused way too much. But there is, there does seem to be an overlay of reality happening right now where there is a sort of different dimensional shift of awareness. That most amazing element that we take for granted every day. And then the informational fields of the biodynamic formula that I use on my plants are literally programmed into that water. So very much different uh, than just dumping a bunch of organic fertilizer on your plants. You're giving them more refined informational fields. You're doing it within that biodynamic formula that goes back to a Steiner understanding. And you're also using water in its most elevated state. You know, water, any alchemist will tell you, can be put through processes and raised energetically and actually turned into different processes, even though it still looks like water, that make us an inseparable part of all of nature. And, I find that you know, the awareness has shifted. People are, are beginning to realize that 
there's a mystery there's a a, a puzzle to be solved and it's in their own backyards and and they're connecting with the energy of the landscape and for different people it results in different things you know we've had excellent conversations with different people on this show just talking about the discoveries they've made in their own backyard but I'm curious to start you know what drew you to this particular area in northern California that you both find yourselves at this this farm you guys are growing some amazing crop there you guys have some what seems like really intelligent biodynamic protocols that you're using to to create a, a you know really good relationship between yourselves and the plant world so if you could tell us how how you were magnetically drawn there mike should we flip a coin or what do you want to do here? you're the man you're the man <laughs> that got me up there so you start okay hey mark thanks for having us here for the first in the first place so uh, good to meet you and good to talk to you. Always good to make a new friend. And especially if it's somewhere else in the world, because it's to me a sign of the times that like spirits, kindred spirits are all finding each other. So that's a very positive thing. Great. So you. what brought me to this area? I was born and raised here. <laughs> so I guess that would be a good starter. I was actually I grew up just a little bit south, but in Northern California. And so this is slightly north of where I grew up. So it's very familiar to me. We like this area just on a personal level because it has proximity, proximity to the seacoast. And, you know, but we're far enough inland, so we're out of the fog belt. And in this particular location, we're up a remote river canyon. So it takes a little bit of a doing to drive up here. Oh, we just lost Mike, it looks like. And, and it's the cleanest, most pristine river in the country, we believe, and a lot of people agree. There's springs everywhere. The weather is wonderful. You know, we have our monsoon season and, and get more rain in the Amazon rainforest when it's raining. But it's not that extreme Pacific Northwest north of us where it's just drizzly and gray. You know, it's like monsoon and then you just go into gorgeous seven months. And uh, we live in a very fertile river area here. My wife and myself, this is our third off-grid farm that we've developed. This one we believe will, well, who knows? We kind of believe it's our final one, um, not because of our age, but because, you know, it just has everything we've been looking for our entire life. And we can grow everything here. And Mother Nature is very cooperative with us here. The other thing is where we grew up just a little bit south of here, unfortunately, a lot of people found it and it's getting more developed. And, you know, so we just kept moving a little bit north to more pristine surroundings. Our first off-grid farm was actually in Hawaii. Because when we moved initially from where we grew up, we decided because of my surfing addiction to live in Hawaii and also to raise our kids there. So we had a very long stretch, many years, came back to the mainland oh, in about 99 to get the kids through college. They're, you know, well into life now themselves. And then finally came full circle to where we grew up, the redwoods, the ocean, the rivers, the mountains. To me, you know, I'm biased, but it doesn't get any better than these remote areas of the West Coast and here on the West Coast in this particular location, you know, we're about 10 hours north of the Bay Area. So there's a big buffer from all that civilization. The next big hub up north is Portland. And that's about six, you know, hours up there. And we're in this little area that the Native Americans call the Plymouth Knot. And it's a confluence of many mountain ranges 
and rivers, and it's not amenable to development in any way. So I think that's probably what I could say is the final reason as far as why we're here. And we're totally off grid, no power lines, no cell service, anything for miles and miles, which is the way we like it. Wow. Wow. And that unfortunately is so foreign to me, as I told you earlier, I'm in Connecticut and you could easily describe where I live as being a sort of organ of the New York City, Boston, Philadelphia megalopolis, right? I mean, you could even see it on the map. You look at it and it's like this scab on the earth of pavement and brick and and sure cities have their benefits, but I'd much rather be in the the, Plym- the Plymouth not. That sounds incredible. So it's a it's an arrangement of mountains. It's a confluence of rivers. And the Native Americans, I'm sure, had some folklore that's been passed on. Is there any other interesting things you've learned outside of what they referred to the area as? Their culture, their habits, the type of people that lived there? Yeah, there, there's a lot of mythology, of course, but I believe the mythology is based mostly in truth. Everybody has a Bigfoot story. The Native Americans have no doubt, and they'll just tell you they communicate, you know, and it's a normal thing. There are species of animals here. For instance, we went out a, a little bit ago at night to check on some things, and there's this big, huge thing, and it's a giant salamander. And uh, this salamander, you know, you won't see, I don't think, any place else on Earth as far as that size. And then people that we know, I haven't seen them myself, but they say if you get up further into the mountains here and into these remote lakes where nobody's ever been, you'll see these salamanders that are seven, eight feet long. You just see species of wild cats, you know, a lot of big animals, elk, bear, bald eagles, uh, just, you know, there's a nest right up there. We just see them swarming. I, the wildlife is off the hook. I've never seen anything, play, uh, any place like this. So it's unique in that way. And where we live, it's a little settlement with just about maybe 12 homesteaders. And what's nice is the homesteaders are all doing things right. It's not a funky out in the country, you know, old cars on a landscape. Everybody takes pride in maintaining the ecosystem, having their nice little place, being self-sufficient. We all know of each other because, you know, we're spread out. You can't see each other. So we're cooperative if somebody's in a jam. But at the same time, we all respect that we're out here for the same reason, which is to, you know, not that we don't like people, but to get away from the crowds and that, you know, we respect each other's privacy. So I don't know of too many places left on this planet that, you know, fit all those parameters that we were looking for. And best of all, right now, you know, the the weather's pretty warm here this time of year, and we have amazing swimming holes. So I just go down the stairs from where my farm is, and it's just crystal clear water, 20, 30-foot pools, you know, just, it's it's simply amazing. Abundant in trout, uh, you know, in the wintertime and other times of the year, you have steelhead and salmon that run up here, still very strong. Mike comes up here and poaches fish out of my swimming, swimming in the fishing hole here all the time. And he lives just a little bit over range here. I can see out my window into a settlement called Gasky and he's back. So I'll let you, him tell you all about that. Tell us a little bit about where you're at, Mike. Dr. Bear just filled us in on his whereabouts. 
Oh, cool. Sorry, guys. My internet is totally screwed right now. That's the one of the problems with living out in the boonies, but I got to go get a new modem. We can, so hopefully we, I, we don't typically hopefully. use the video for my podcast. So we could, if, if it helps the connection, you can turn the video off and maybe we'll all have a more fidelity with the audio. Okay. Do you typically on YouTube and stuff, you don't show the video? Well, seems to in be okay. cases like this, I make like a, like a cool graphic that'll just play over our audio. So, well, let's, Mark, let's just keep, keep let's try it now. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I usually, ha I actually have fast internet here. It's just my modem. I got word from Spectrum. I got to go switch it out. It's dated or something. So I'm going to town today to do that. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So Bear filled you in on the majesty of living on the Smith River, I'm sure. And the off-grid nature of the farm and all the beautiful wildlife and Sasquatch that comes to visit us. Yeah. It. So I was attracted to this land as soon as I came and camped here with my family back in 2015-ish living in LA. I, we knew we had to get out. I was tired of being a, like worrying about the fall of Los Angeles and like bug out bags and what's going to happen when the, the hordes come a knocking when the water's gone. So I knew that water is key. Water is essential to life and to happiness and everything. And the Smith river is the, I, I would argue, and I think this is not even arguable. It's the cleanest waterway in North America, or at least in the United States, continental United States. So that was a huge, huge part of my reason for moving here. And uh, we found this awesome little town. It's like a throwback to the 1970s. My kids just get to ride their bikes and go off and do whatever they need to do during the day and play out in nature. And I don't have to worry about child protective services being called. So <laughs> it was a, kind of a no brainer to come here and really, yeah, embrace country life. I, I became a volunteer firefighter to, to as a means to connect to the community quickly. And that's been very rewarding and challenging and kind of life-changing. And uh, yeah, couldn't be happier. As I say on our podcast, I kiss the ground every morning I wake up here. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I love hearing about this stuff. I've worked on a farm I've milked cows, but currently where I'm at right now, I have no room outside of the indoor space to grow. Uh, I could probably set up a hydroponic situation, but yeah, it is. It's absolutely a pleasure hearing you guys describe these idyllic sort of areas. And obviously when you're that remote, you don't have any prying eyes. I'm sure you can innovate as well because like, like I said, I can't really even grow in my front yard. There's people who have property who can't grow gardens on their front lawn because of HOAs and, you know, community rules and things like that, right? And it's just ludicrous. But in the light of advancing agriculture, advancing our relationship with the natural world, have you guys worked out any solutions to common problems that people have when they're going about this type of thing, homesteading, growing. I mean, you talk about the Smith River. I've been reading a little bit from Victor Schauberger lately and, and all the things he's covered with water. Are you utilizing any what would seem like advanced techniques in these remote locations with your farming operation, with your growing? Yeah, you want me to take it, Mike? Yeah, yeah, you're the guy who introduced me to Schauberger 15 years ago. Take it away. Okay. All right. Yeah, he's one of my heroes. You know, he's, of course, noted as the Tesla of water. Mm. And he lived out in the boonies as a forester in Austria. 
and learn by watching trout in the stream and then by understanding what trout were able to do by just staying stationary in a fast moving current just by movement within the gills their gills he discovered the implosion technology which he had then applied to creating waterways aqueducts that actually go up a grade you know without any without any power source and then also how to create vehicles that levitate you know that are so-called anti-gravitational i use gravitational as a loosely because gravity is not a real force as you and I were taught in school. It's, it's one polarity. And then of course the other polarity is levity. So he understood those two opposing forces and then how a trout simply used those two forces to its advantage and how we can apply that to agriculture, to moving water around on the planet anywhere we want without, you know, no fuel or, or mechanization. So quite a remarkable individual. One of the things I do on the farm here is I have a vortex technology and I make nutrient teas. I have a biodynamic formula that I created and I put it in this very large cyclone looking vat and it doesn't just spin it like a blender, but you have air pumped in at different vantage points that create an implosion technique that then restructures the water, opens up the water very magical elements or, you know, things in the water that most people don't even understand. It's, it's the most amazing element that we take for granted every day. And then the informational fields of the biodynamic formula that I use on my plants are literally programmed into that water. So very much different uh, than just dumping a bunch of organic fertilizer on your plants. You're giving them more refined informational fields, you're doing it within that biodynamic formula that goes back to, you know, a Steiner understanding. And you're also using water in its most elevated state. You know, water, any alchemist will tell you, can be put through processes and raised energetically and actually turned into different processes, even though it still looks like water. So that's what the implosion technique technology does. The other thing is that it creates an abundance of microorganisms in this technology, which are what the soil needs in order to break down the minerals and make them available to the rootlets of the plants. Also, these microorganisms, the more plentiful they are and the more you work with them and assure that they multiply constantly, they become a communication system between our own gut biome and our bodies. There's no separation if you understand the waveform, you know, channels of communication that make us an inseparable part of all of nature and, you know, with the fungi and everything else. So there's a lot going on there. And when you understand all of that, then you can unlock all those potentials use them to your advantage, but most important, really unlock the awareness within your own spirit and, uh, you know, discover why we're here in the first place. Well, yeah. And, and that seems to be essential to getting into all this stuff, but for people who maybe have a property where they can pull something like this off, or maybe even not, and they're in a city like me, do you need the water quality 
to be as pure as it obviously is in a remote place like that? Or could you work with, you know, some water that's been polluted and restructure it and make it more valuable than it currently is? Well, I mean, you, you can, ob- so where I'm at, the, our town pulls water from the Smith river, but it does go through a treatment because there are, you know, normies here that feel like it needs to be somewhat cleaned. And, you know, obviously there's concerns about bacteria and saw how the bacteria actually works. So this is a huge problem, obviously with mainstream modern thinking, we kill everything because the way science works is it looks at everything dead to understand it. So we think we, in order to be, I don't know, to be safe, we have to have everything dead. So what I do is when I'm not using collected rainwater or pullings directly from the Smith myself, uh, because I'm about 2000 yards up from the middle fork, I actually have a pretty good filtration system. And then I go through a structuring device. I need to get some of those implosion devices bare, but I do have some structuring uh, devices I add to added to my hose bib, which are pretty interesting that our friend uh, Justin Franson offers through his company. And so I'm trying that out right now. So I filter and then I these are supposedly structuring devices, and this is what I use when I'm not using rainwater for my garden. So I would say, yes, you know, it's not going to be the same I, than like pulling out like we have at the farm at Alphabetic, where we're literally pulling out of the Smith River, which is naturally structured and super refined, natural, brilliant, conscious water. However, yeah, you do what you can in the city. I am a huge fan of collecting rainwater. If you can collect rainwater, that is a fantastic thing to do in the city and then you can structure it you can get a vortex machine and do that yourself easily on your property like what we have at the farm and make your own teas and i do all sorts of stuff like what's it called butaki which is a japanese style fermented tea that is anaerobic you can do all sorts of stuff in a city to grow you know vertical growing is a great great option for you even if you have a small patio and you could do cool rainwater collection where that water kind of comes down through the vertical growing tubes. I've seen some really cool systems set up where they're growing enough food for a neighborhood in, I don't know, bare a couple hundred square feet. I mean, there's that one farm we talk about, a family farm in Pasadena, California, where they are a full functioning professional farm. And how much property do they actually have bare? It's not much. It's a postage stamp. It's a little old style normie suburban neighborhood with, you know, a customary yard space and that's it. And they have animals, they have, you know, a complete ecosystem and they provide enough food for their whole extended family that now lives there. They have an internet business and they take all their stuff to the farmer's market. Yeah. And it's interesting you say, Mark, you know, about the HOAs and all this stuff and how they, you know, in America, especially in suburbia, it's like there's an expectation that see beautiful lawns and pruned roses versus, you know, a food forest in your front yard. Like my friend, our friend Jim Gale, you know, has a mission to do is convert all these lawns into food forests. I think there are ways we talk about on our podcast where you can, through lawful remedy, if you own your own land, you can get around that and you can give them a, the finger and grow food. You just have to know go, how to go about it. 
And if you are stuck in an HOA, it's also like, what are your priorities in life? For me, my priorities were to get out of LA, to get up here so I could have a food forest, which I now have in my front yard here because I knew that was what I wanted in my life. So once again, manifestation, law of attraction, what do you really want in your life? Right. If you really, you know, if it's a priority for you to grow amazing food, you will find yourself in an amazing environment to do so. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. And well said, I really only had that reference off the top of my head because I was on a podcast the other day and I was arguing with someone about their lawn and their cop out was, well, I have a HOA and I can't grow <laughs> food on my lawn. But anyways, we'll, we won't drag that argument into this wonderful conversation. I'm wondering about something that you mentioned, Mike, you know, you, you said that science studies death to understand life. And this reminds me of something I read recently in a very strange journal. I should mention the only reason I'm even looking through a journal like this is because I'm studying Skull and Bones, a group outside of or from Yale University, and I don't live that far from them. So they've been a interest of mine studying this group and, and one of their idols much like Schauberger is someone we would all look up to they look up to a guy named George Hegel and George Hegel is a pretty influential philosopher from Germany of the 19th century and his belief was that you know death creates life in this sort of inverted way he he saw it that well death creates the fertilizer that then becomes you know new life right it's a sort of backwards twisted logic and they almost explain it in a way that makes less sense than you and I would initially think. Because that kind of makes sense, right? I mean, all life creates death and there's a sort of cycle. We get that. But it's pretty obvious after the past hundred or so years that this philosophy has undermined our relationship with the natural world. It's added to this kill or be killed survival of the fittest modality, which is not how an ecosystem truly works. I mean, you guys have your hands in an actual ecosystem. You've created one where you live. You're using all of the different aspects of the biome to your advantage. It's counterintuitive based on, you know, everything our modern agriculture teaches us. It seems like it's a very death centric culture. And, and I'm wondering, you know, where do you guys see this evolving and how because i i want to see more people like yourselves taking a, a life approach a living approach to this type of work but you know with chemical pesticides and all these other things it's a very death-centric approach to these sciences you know it's all about killing the pests and and you know giving the best best nutrients but they're not the best they're just overkill you know they're oversaturating it with nitrogen or whatever else they think is gonna you know create the best concoction of of soil it's it's yeah i don't know kind of rambling here save me dr bear <laughs> Okay, I'll give it a stab. What we're experiencing now with the Monsantos and all the extreme death cult practices, because it is a death cult, are the logical or illogical progression of just going down one path, one of the two paths that nature provides. 
Now, when you're in the practice of medicine, like Chinese medicine, you know, there's two sides, the yin, the yang, the shen, the co-cycle, you know, one nurtures, one seemingly destroys it, you know, like that one person you're referencing that says, well, nature kills so that uh, things could be recreated. Well, there is some truth to that. If you go up to the progenitor effects that actually come for our thoughts and, you know, as creators of this realm in the first place, you know, every thought creates a polarization of electrical forces. And then it steps down through the ethers and all the different levels that we experience on the ground here to see nature. You know, we have been for a while controlled by those harmonic influences where science has chosen to go down the materialistic reductionist realm you know there was a time when true scientists which we now refer to as alchemists understood both sides of the coin and more importantly understood their role as being in the central pivotal fulcrum point of those polarities which is some people call the christ consciousness it doesn't matter what you call it and in their endeavors of science, what they did was create in order to heal. All of the early alchemists were involved in the healing arts. Now our so-called scientists are actually in part of the death cult in that they're you know, taking things from the earth in order to manufacture for profit, you know, manufacturing weaponry, manufacturing medicine that is designed to kill rather than understand what they're killing is actually would be part of the solution if they knew how to work with it. So we had this great imbalance. And of course, the folks that have gone totally into that harmonic, those harmonic channels, now they're just plain and deviously trying to kill everybody, kill all life on the planet in the name of control because they are the most fearful amongst mankind in the first place. Mike, what are your thoughts on all that? Well, yeah, no, you mean you pretty much summed it all up perfectly. Rudolf Steiner, you know, was brilliant in showing and illustrating these different extreme polarities. And I guess it really comes down to disconnection, disconnection from spirit, from source, from self. And there unfortunately are occulted circles that tried to hack the system, try to take a shortcut around who they really are. You know, some would relate that all the way back to the quote unquote fall of man. Uh, And we've been sort of dealing with the repercussions of this ever since. And, you know, it really just comes down to the great awakening, which I feel is happening right now. I feel like there is a split in sort of, I hate to say the whole 5D thing, because that's overused way too much. But there is, there does seem to be an overlay of reality happening right now where there is a sort of different dimensional shift of awareness happening. And so literally there are people on the 3D right now that are still existing in this sort of harmonic influence this materialistic reductionist separation from spirit. And then there are those like ourselves here, because I've listened to you a bunch, Mark, and I know where you're coming from. And I really see you resonating in the new reality that literally are moving into a new world, which will crystallize into a whole new 3D form. And that will be the the new world we're existing in. And with that, we'll get back to core principles of nature, the dual waveform of nature, which is life, death, life, death. And so, and in that, with respect for nature and respect as the divine creators that we are, we'll have living systems that will regenerate and will basically live in harmonious conjunction with the divine. 
right? The divine will of the creator versus the current system that's been going on since the quote unquote fall that has been trying to deny the creator, which is trying to hack the creator, creators, you know, create a flow through ego and through will, the will force in the mental plane, the disconnection from the heart. And so this is a brilliant time to be alive because we all get to experience this if we choose to. If you choose not to, and you choose to deny the creator, deny the divine force that's happening right now, you're just going to suffer more and more in normie world. <laughs> mm, wow. Yeah, well said, Dr. Bear and, and Mike. Both of you made excellent points. And uh, I want to circle back to something that you mentioned, Dr. Bear Lando, about how this medicine they're giving us is really, you know, aimed to harm us, not heal us. And you know, maybe I'm still drawing connections. I was just researching a lot of skull and bones material, but one of the theories that's really formed out of researching this is that the Native American consciousness, the shamanic influence, that shamanic plant medicine relationship, it was almost sterilized and then repackaged or reprogrammed because we see this influence that Yale, Harvard, and the other Ivy League schools have, and Oxford and Cambridge as well, we can't forget about the old world schools, they have this tremendous influence on our culture and, and especially the roaring, you know, 1900s when drugs were just ubiquitous and, and really used in an unregistered, unchecked way. And yeah, now we're living in a world where people don't even understand that these things were living beings in the first place. They just imagine some laboratory where people just pour beakers you know, of, of you know, green liquids into vials. They don't have the concept that, no, these guys go out into the forest, they find plants that have these qualities, and then they turn them into these pills, right? And it's such a denatured way to go about healing. How do we, how do we begin to, you know, take that back and, and teach people about whole plant medicine. I mean, we're living in a world where people are so looking for a quick fix. They, they're often turned off by plant medicines. I, you know, it's a personal matter for me. My grandfather has cancer and I smoke cannabis every day. I wish he would be warmed up to it, but he's a conservative. He's a Fox news guy. He's a old school firefighter from Connecticut. Never, ever did a drug once unless you count alcohol. So, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to talk him into trying even something like CBD because he's so averse to it. Well, the dark side of the force has really mastered the old two-step into materialism. So as you say, you know, pharmaceuticals, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them have their roots in botanical sources. But then as they extract through standardization and then synthesize from what once were natural elements and then just go down that path exclusively, pretty soon you're in the world of synthetics. You've lost the full spectrum 
uh, effects uh, that Mother Nature understands, you know, that understands the, the synergy of how things work together. You know, it's like taking our bodies apart, just putting a liver on the tabletop and expecting a human being to work. You know, it's just they all have a synergy. They all have a purpose, but they are all congealed energy at the same time. It's, you know, it uh, all matter, including plant forms in all the three kingdoms of nature. We're nothing but congealed energy. So when you understand more the energetic origins of everything, you know, it again gets us to the thought forms and the intentions of the creator. And then you finally have that, you know, plant that we might use medicinally as food, whatever. You know, there's a whole energetic completeness. Now we try to pick it apart. Now there can be some value in that. And that in, as the old alchemist did is they pick things apart, but they never lost sight of the whole and a, their whole endeavor was to purify the parts and then put them back together and know how nature puts things together in the first place. So that mimicked the so-called ascension process that not only, you know, fulfilled their ability to do what they knew they had the right to do which is to make things even better because we are co-creators and then also make it a spiritual practice to link up with what they were doing so that it had important consequences on their own consciousness that was now growing awareness as far as how our bodies, how our being was going through a similar ascension process at the same time. You know, when I was in naturopathic college, I had to take a course the first semester and it was a history of naturopathy and they felt it very important. Naturopathic colleges don't do this anymore, by the way. They've all been captured and standardized. But back then, we had to take this course as freshmen. And it told us about the history of medicine in this country. And the fact is, as naturopaths, we're the prominent physicians, you know, for a long period of our early history. And then with the Rockefeller medicine, you know, which will bring you back into your Yaleys and all those folks that you're studying. And of course, they're offshoots of the Royal Society in Europe who just woke up one day, I guess, and thought that they had a right to kill everybody else and control the planet. So we call that eugenics. And of course, they go way, way back. They didn't just wake up to that. You know, it's this is a, a, an agenda that's been in operation for a long time. So now you have the Rockefellers as their point man in America, and they, with their influence, they buy off Congress and, you know, your local bureaucrats. Next thing, they're incarcerating doctors that are doing nothing but helping people. They've got, you know, control of all the schools, the media, and they literally burning buildings down, schools and libraries and such, burning books. You know, we see a little bit of that going on again today, right? So that's how we got to this place. So if you ask me, what is the solution? What do we do about it? Well, the three of us are doing what we need to do right now is talk about the truth, you know, really alert people. Fact is, is this little podcast here, the podcast that we do, you know, the composite of all the independent people out there in the new media are kicking the holy crap. The legacy media, you know, Fox News, CNN, all of them combined aren't even getting a fraction of the viewership that all of us are getting collectively. So we're winning. We're absolutely winning. So we're doing what we need to do. The next part is to get control again of more of our 
educational systems, especially those that train health professionals like doctors. Because if your dad was seeing a doctor that had a proper education and clinical experience that proved his education firsthand to him, he would realize that cancer is not even a disease. He would understand that cancer is actually a biological expression of something much deeper. And it was actually meant to heal his mind, body, and spirit. And in that being said, then you understand that the practice of medicine is a very spiritual practice. It's very grounded in that you do what you have to do on the ground to support your body. Uh, but at the same time, it's about elevating all parts of yourself. That's what medicine was originally intended to do. But now it's become a crisis intervention to lay our fears that have been well cultivated in all of us, which is the fear of death. Wow. Powerful. Yeah. And I am in resonance with everything you just said. I had a, an event, crisis event when I was younger, I was skateboarding down a hill and I fell, I slammed on the pavement and I broke my wrist and I was taken to the hospital. They, they asked me if I wanted medication and I told the doctor, I said, I don't need medication. I have meditation, you know, and I felt really proud of myself. <laughs> really confident, you know, and I, and to this day, I've never done any pain medication, anything like that. But unfortunately I was, I, they convinced me and I feel like this wasn't necessary, but they convinced me to put a plate in my wrist to, to fix my wrist. And maybe this isn't your specialty, but I always regretted that. Like, ah, oh, it would have healed on its own. I didn't need this. Now I'm stuck with this thing for the rest of my life. And, and it, it, it just is sort of like a thorn in in my side. But uh, if you don't have any thoughts on the, the implant, I would like to ask you about cancer, but I'm wondering what are your thoughts on, on this risk, risk thing as a doctor? Do you think I could get the surgery to get this thing out of there one day? Well, I understand I have a little metal on my body. You know, I played combative sports for a long time, probably too long and did some, uh, you know, damage and, and, you know, have a little bit of titanium in my body. On the other hand, you realize that your body is very adaptive and your consciousness, again, is congealing your intentions and thought forms every single moment. And your body is no more you than that piece of metal is. Mm. And so your thoughts around that, your body, as well as that implant are going to have no effect on your consciousness, but your consciousness can greatly affect those and you will live fine with it. it as you know, if I just go right into my physician role, what I would do just to make sure on the ground things are, you know, have every, every advantage, I would probably go into that area and do some assessment of the meridians and energy channels in that area. Maybe do some neural therapy in just in case that metal is becoming an energetic impediment to, you know, energy channels, meridians, and there's, you know, ways neural therapy being one of them where you can reinstate all those normal pathways and not miss a beat. You can do it with, you know, teeth, you know, when you've had fillings put in teeth, you know, the meridians move through there. So we do that all the time in practice. And it's not a matter of saying, oh, we're screwed because of 
mm. you know, something we had done surgically or something. No, it's just giving the body every advantage it needs so that it can adapt and operate with complete normalcy around whatever, you know, changes have been made. Right. Right. Yeah. And it is, it's easy to forget how fluid our, our body is. We're energetic beings and yeah, I, I hadn't considered that. And, you know, I have had a, a very groundbreaking Reiki session when I was very young, 17 years old, somebody did Reiki on me and it completely changed my life. I mean, emotional well-being shifted overnight, but on the, the point of the implant, I actually have cobalt chrome, not titanium. And I found out that the word cobalt actually is synonymous with the word goblin because miners would find these like creatures in the mines and they called them cobalts. And I guess when they discovered this mineral cobalt or this element cobalt, they, they gave it the same name. So I have a little goblin in my wrist now, it seems. <laughs> but either way, on the point of cancer, this could be one of the most controversial topics around. And we're not afraid to to discuss that here. We've had guests on the show describe different cannabis procedures, things you could do with cannabis to cure certain types of cancer. But you're saying that it's possibly something that can be healed in the causal spiritual planes, something that has roots in the mental, emotional body rather than being a purely physical ailment. I'll just say too, one thing, you know, we use the word cure. We don't mm. want to say cure. Right, Go ahead, right, Bear. Right, right. <laughs> Treatment, right? Is that the preferred? Well, Bear will explain what I mean here yeah. by that. Okay. Well, in the case of cancer, when you realize it's really not a disease, then you realize, as Mike says, there's nothing to cure. So now it's just understanding why it's there. Right. Boy, I'll, I'll go through this as quickly as possible. First off, you have a growth. We'll say it's diagnosed as cancer. This is pure physical plane. And Remember, there's always many levels of reality. There's never just one thing in operation. So these are all the things as a physician you have to understand and also address depending on where that person's awareness is that you're trying to support in the first place. So let's just look at a growth on the physical plane. First off, if you get into the works of Steiner and, and people like that, you understand there's three kingdoms and there's certain energetics that create the anatomy of the mineral plant and animal and kingdom, you know, which includes mankind. And when you understand how that energetic congealment happens, then you can look at bodies and see how, we go all the way up to the kingdoms through the human or mankind, we should say, and how we have attributes of everything beneath us, but then go beyond. Now, cancer, when you look at it in that metamorphosis, metamorphic way uh, from those primal forces, you see that cancer is an outpicturing of somebody being too much involved in those other kingdoms and therefore certain growth patterns that are appropriate for the mineral and plant kingdom, but not appropriate. For instance, a plant 
you plant it and it keeps growing, right? It doesn't have, you know, these means that just shut off growth. So when you see an unabated growth in a, an individual a man, then it means you have a process of exostosis, which is appropriate for plant development, but maybe not appropriate for mankind's development. And the reason why that kind of growth isn't appropriate, you'd have to understand the spiritual ramifications of why man's anatomy is different and outpictures differently and then has different attributes above all the other kingdoms. So that gets a little bit into the weeds as far as why a growth now is really mirroring lower kingdoms and there's very deep spiritual reasons why that happens in, you know, a human body and understanding how to fix it. Then you have to reinstate the rhythms that create our anatomy in the first place. That's where Steiner got into his, you know, different kind of musical therapies and everything. Okay. So let's just get more into the nuts and bolts of physiology. And Mike really understands this and has some good input. So I want to, I don't want to gobble up all the time here. Say you have some elements in your body that don't belong there. Maybe you're breathing all the crap, you know, the, the, the uh, heavy metals and things that, you know, they're spraying in the air and the body's elimination systems are overwhelmed. So now you're, you know, instead of just keeping things moving through your body, the body intelligently will sequester things into certain tissues, joints, so forth. And, you know, depending where it is, it'll create symptoms, you know, that we have medical diagnostic terms for in the case of a growth, you've had maybe something placed in a certain body tissue and organ. And now because uh, uh, aggressive steps have not been taken to assist the body to eliminate that, you have anaerobic metabolism, fermentation, and the body says, we got to clean this up. So it starts creating new tissue because every single cell that grows in that spot that then we later recognize as a growth is a set of lungs that brings in oxygen. And if you know how to work with it, just on that physiological level, what's going to happen is it'll clean itself out. And when there's no more reason to have a growth to do that, then the microorganisms that live with inside of us that are our little partners, they'll already be at the scene of the crime. Then they'll secrete enzymes and things, digest the tumor, it goes away. That's the way things used to happen more readily in bodies when we were less inundated. Now, on another level, and this gets into some of the things we talk about in new German medicine, biology will holographically or fractally manifest or mirror issues that are going on in the psyche. You say you have a traumatic experience that affects your psyche, your emotional being. If you understand the nature of all the possible episodes that can happen within our social interactions or just kind of within our survival instincts, then different bodies or different organs or tissues in the body will play that out. And when you understand a little bit more, it makes perfect sense because they're mirroring that exact issue. And in the case of say cancer, it would be true of any other, you know, form of malady in the body, but with cancer alone, it will grow things in order to alleviate the pressure on the psyche that was, that triggered the neurological triggering of a particular part of the body to grow something in the first place. And then when pressure is relieved, it goes full circle. The psyche then is relieved, which is an evolutionary advantage that 
man has over animals and that we then can relieve the burden of these insults to our psyche in order to unclutter ourselves for the ascension process. And because a lot of these things are happening unconsciously and we couldn't possibly keep up with them or even be aware of them. So biology comes to the rescue. And when the growth has achieved its purpose, then again, you know, microorganisms and things that the medics might think are dangerous actually digested. So it goes away. And this kind of stuff used to happen more readily, but now with early detection, early treatment, you know, we catch a growth that maybe we wouldn't even, you know, been aware of before. And then we start poisoning the crap out of ourselves in order to kill the bad guys or our bodies are just plain lacking the resources because of all the things we're inundated with these day and, and the lack of health in the average person's bodies that prevents, you know, those resources in the body just being available and mobilized so that these things could come and go and then they you have unabated growth and problems in epidemic proportions now for all those reasons. Plus there's a lot of more insults going on to our psyche every single moment. Just look at the headlines. Wow. Yeah. Well said, Mike, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. I mean, kind of hard to follow that. Well, if I could <laughs> maybe share what I, I, I was thinking as Dr. Bear Lando was was sharing that, and thank you, sir. You know, there's this sort of nexus point with drugs, right? We have tobacco being blamed for lung cancer at large. Cigarette smoking, you know, has become very unfashionable. And then cannabis smoke has become more fashionable, right? And, and some people, like I mentioned earlier, say that cannabis has some healing properties here. And I'm wondering to your point about this being really largely a, a, a problem outside of just the physical domain, it's reaching into our many aspects of ourself. Maybe that's why cannabis has this ability because it affects our mind. It affects our soul in a sort of curious way. Tobacco, at least here in North America, was always used in prayer and, and to connect with, with a creator and, you know, Maybe this is just my conspiratorial thinking, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was an objective to using tobacco as opposed to any other smokable herb when they mainstream this Monsanto cigarette, right? So I think there is something going on there where people are being maybe blocked from having a higher understanding of their soul and forced to sort of be unwitting participants in this death cult. Yeah. I mean, we know tobacco, the chemical constituents in a Marlboro cigarette, there's like, I don't even know how many countless mm, different carcinogens right. in there, you know, pure tobacco, almost nobody smokes, right. but you're right. There is a shamanic tradition with tobacco. I know like ayahuasca ceremonies, for instance, the shaman will blow tobacco in your face and there's, you know, a lot of wonderful aspects of tobacco. And of course it was a major crash crop here in the United States and easy to grow. And so th they marketed that and the eugenicists came in and said, oh, hey, here's a great way to kill people. But the tobacco itself, you know, isn't ca cancer causing that I know of. But of course, if you abuse anything and bring smoke into your lungs, that's not totally natural. I'm sure that is an insult to the biology and there will be an interplay between your higher mental and emotional selves if you are abusing anything 
anything, you know? So I guess once again, we get mired in materialism and in reductionism, connecting cancer to cigarettes, cancer to even something like 5G or any of these other ideas where if we understand who we really are, as Bear was saying, all the multiple planes of, of that make us as our I am, right? Then if we can get close to some sort of mastery, we don't have to live in fear of any of this stuff. You know, if we understand nature's way and we understand who we are, we can really effortlessly navigate even the most toxic places. But that does take a certain degree of mastery, mastery of yourself and spirit and your your emotions, especially, you know, I think people have completely lost track of what their emotions are and what how they interplay with all these different levels of our consciousness. But yeah, in terms of cannabis, and by the way, Mark, you didn't strike me as one that would engage in cannabis. But no, I've been kidding. slowly rolling uh, something up right now. Bob Marley poster in the background. <laughs> but that being said, you know, I, someone who enjoys cannabis myself, there's definitely a connection with the heart chakra, right? When you engage in that plant medicine, which I believe is super important these days where it's we've had an extreme disconnect from the heart. So there is something definitely empowering to cannabis and probably why they ran the whole psyop against it in the 1920s with reefer madness and, you know, calling it marijuana, Mary Jane, demonizing it with, you know, Mexicans coming to rape your wife, all that stuff, because it was something that was definitely more of a spiritual sort of awakening when you do imbibe with that versus something like alcohol, I would say alcohol is the better example of the mainstream drug being pushed in society because of its ability to disconnect us from spirit and really just engage us more in this sort of primordial animal instinct of, you know, right now, I want what I want right now without really going deep into consciousness. Even alcohol also has, as Bear would rightly, I, I think, agree with me as a, as a spirit used in alchemy has its own amazing attributes. And once again, I think this just comes down to being in balance, being in balance with who we are and not over imbibing in anything and understanding that nature is balanced. And, and when we start to understand ourselves better then all of these fears about all this materialistic stuff just goes out the window. Mm, yeah. And, you know, Thank you for pointing that out. I should say that my foray into cannabis was unconventional. I was a martial artist and a wrestler in middle school and high school, and I despised alcohol. I despised any sort of intoxication. But then some way, somehow, I found Eddie Bravo, and I know he probably doesn't like me blaming him for it, so I'll say Bruce Lee as well. But Bruce Lee... Uh, wrote in his book that he used cannabis. He he ate hemp, right? And when I read this in, in one of his books that was designed to run you through some of the workouts he invented himself, I was just perplexed because my friends who seemed like total nincompoops were offering me this weed and, and trying to smoke with me. And I said, no, I don't want to smoke. But then I found out Bruce Lee had been using it. So I gave it a try. And, and I found that I liked being high by myself more than I like being high with my friends because they're sort of getting a lot of their energy. But when I was able to cultivate this introspection and, you know, I connected with my heart, I, there's really no other way to, to put it than that. I think you summed it up really well, Mike. And another thing that you said that I think is important and we can maybe branch off into another topic from here is this concept of fear and 
you know, one of the first ideas in spirituality that I really was drawn to was immortality, right? And I think a lot of people come to this through fear when really immortality to a certain degree is achievable through mastery, right? People always seem to tell stories of these amazing, you know, fountains of youth and and those people who go and seek them out seem to be like the most fearful, really, at least, you know, they seem outwardly. But with this Zhao Gulan, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, this immortality tea, with the right mastery, you're able to actually, well, I don't know, maybe achieve an incredibly long life. Is this true or is this just myth? Well, every plant really used again because it's a whole consciousness from the creator is going to help put the pieces of ourselves back you know together again you know for instance cannabis as a as a example you know our heart in our mind and not suggesting the physical organs but the mental plane and the emotional plane but those just being the transmitter receivers for those planes in the physical body they were never meant to be separate. In the ascended master realm, they have a little salutation when they greet each other, which signifies unification of heart and mind. So when you're under the influence of cannabis and you know doing it for the right reasons, then you are going to be more apt to experience that unification. There's going to be your sensory polarity, which is represented by your neurology, which is going to be extra acute as far as picking up data from your external environment. And that's why things just seem more vivid colors and sounds and so forth. At the same time, you're going to be more tapped in with the other polarity, which is represented by our metabolism and old school alchemy. They call this the salt and the sulfur or the body and the soul. And then that really connects with the rhythms, the central rhythms of the heart and tunes us into those larger patterns and perceiving those patterns that are abundant in nature all the time, but aren't perceptible with the outer senses. So right away, used properly, plant medicine is going to unify those polarities. And that's why you have more of a unifying experience and great insights and all sorts of things that come with many types of plant medicine. Now, Jiao Gulan, which is just my thing, you know, I got into it a long time ago and I've been growing it for a lot of years now. And this is, you know, my second farm where I've grown it in large scale. If you look at it pharmacologically, the way a Western mind would, you say, well, it has certain adaptogenic qualities, it has certain elements in it that they pick apart in the lab. They find out it's more potent, you know, for all that good stuff than ginseng. It actually repairs telomeres, you know, which are the terminal endpoints of DNA. So in that regard, you know, it could do some bodily repair and everything. And all those things are true. And it also affects cardiovascular function. And just about every function in your body readily responds positively to Jiao Gulan. The Western name for Jiao Gulan is gynostema. And in the Orient, they said um, 
well, they called it the, the tea of immortality. You know, I drank it every day and they just claimed that it prolonged their lives. But I don't really look at things that way because if you're trying to prolong your life, the first question, whether you're going and studying in the Valley of the Ancients up in the Wuhan mountains somewhere with some martial artist has been alive for 500 years or whether you're drinking immortality tea, why are you doing it? Are you doing it because you're afraid to die or are you dying because are you doing it because you want to live? So first off, your intentions are going to dictate the results you get from any practice that you do. And then, of course, immortality, you realize, has nothing to do with the body. But when you come to that realization, then, again, you're operating not in the world of polarities, but at the fulcrum of the, the creative standpoint of those two polarities. And then you're going to be able to manipulate those polarities instead of them manipulating you. So then your body does not have to do, you know, the whole degradation process and, and decrepitation and things that we associate with, you know, the final stages of old age, right before you croak, you know, you can actually be fully functional you can have your wits about you and be better than ever, regardless of whether you have some outer signs of aging or not. And But the real goal is to, you know, use your body as a vehicle for the ascension of your consciousness. And tens of thousands of people have made the ascension where they did not even go through a physical death. That's why somebody a long time ago said the last enemy to overcome is death. And it's been very well documented in places in Asia where they did old school techniques of ascension, which was to prolong the life in the physical body. They had areas where people were alive for many hundreds of years and centuries. So now they say we don't have to go through that uh, because we can just do it internally and make an ascension in a single lifetime and not have to go through the hundreds of years of prolongation, you know, in a physical vehicle. So yeah, all the herbs can assist, I think, including Jaugulan, if you use them properly and understand what they're there for in the first place. Mm. Yeah. And you reminded me of this folk tale that I just heard the other day about a man who was hung by a king in Scotland and pushed on a wheel to his, the site of his grave and miraculously was there to to attest to his innocence in court the next day after the king had hung him. So it's a weird story about someone living through a hanging, but I, I don't doubt this sort of immortality and people being able to ascend and, and maybe even have a co conscious connection between their past life and their present life. I think this is something that is a lost science. You know, it's something that we've unfortunately moved away from as a culture. But I think even in the Western culture, there's evidence of this kind of thing going on. We have incredible stories. I know Chris Bennett is somebody who's written a lot about this, of cannabis being used for this purpose to ascend out of your body and you know achieve higher states of consciousness. They would use sort of like these tents and a burner, an incense burner, much like the one they use in a you know Christian ceremony or Catholic ceremony today, and incense the whole room, and people would be you know uplifted by this smoke. Yeah, that there's an occulted practice by the Rosicrucians where the the crystallization of their years of uh, study as a initiate 
would lead to a ceremony where they would essentially, it's kind of like the movie Flatliners, if you're familiar with that, where they would induce a death, a physical body death. So they would literally die, but they did it in a way with a specific plant medicine. So this is not a shamanic journey. This is different. This is not a, like an ayahuasca trip. You're literally dead. And then they would leave and go to the afterlife and then they would bring them back. They would revive them. And that was the ultimate kind of sort of, you know, awareness that they would then have as they move into the Rosicrucian order. Mm. And this was the great mind altering, I guess, activation, knowing that there is no death. And then now that would be something that would allow them to be fearless and be champions and, you know, brave knights of the divine and all that. Well, this and is that was, this is Geronimo too. I mean, this is the you know you you made the comparison or opposite of a comparison, but I would say that the Native Americans had very similar rituals. I'm sure you've you've heard of the eagle bone ceremony, right? Where you're taken through this tremendous stress on your body, and yeah, it, it's like a, a resurrection, almost like you know three days in the tomb kind of thing. And and I, I wonder how universal this is it seems that it's a part of every culture from aborigines to up in laplands all the way down to peru and and here in north america i have a great uncle who supposedly knew geronimo and there's a book written about him he was a kind of a davy crockett of sorts who had all sorts of adventures and is my dad's i don't know great great uncle yeah fascinating i was telling bear about this i think a couple days ago and uh, yeah geronimo was a pretty dynamic character for sure and had almost like an ascended master sort of presence around about him Mm, yeah Uh, i heard from a past guest that he was able to interpret because back when they were fighting the the indians in wars and whatnot geronimo was a fierce warrior he had a a reputation that preceded him and the army they had these like lookout stations that they would sort of signal to each other with mirrors using morse code and the legend was that geronimo could stand in between two of these towers and and know exactly what they were saying and he'd never learned morse code so yeah he he had some so even some you know mystical lore about him as well yeah and as you are aware supposedly they have was it the skull of geronimo skull and bones as as an effigy toward or that kind of i don't know mysticism of america right yeah that's that's actually where my interest began i met a a a guy from arizona who traveled to new haven to pray for geronimo's desecrated body and and help him connect you know in the astral back to where he belongs and yeah this guy ran into me and and definitely planted a bunch of seeds so to speak and they have blossomed into a forest but yeah i could i could sit here and bore you guys about all that stuff but we're not here to talk about well not bore but well let's get back on track it's definitely not boring (laughs) (laughs) definitely not i agree well i i do want to maybe bring you know some other of the plants that you use outside of just the immortality tea are there any other products that you guys are are creating products the wrong word you know plants plant medicines that you guys are creating that you don't think people might know about because i hadn't heard of this immortality tea until i heard you interviewed on the higher side chats Uh, we grow a lot of herbs and a lot of them make their way into our teas and so forth and probably a lot of herbs that most people are aware of 
but the key to herbal medicine is understanding how to prepare it. And that goes back to the alchemical process. So you can take say ashwagandha and you can make a tincture out of it. And that is going to have just certain components of the three main components that make up all the kingdoms of nature. Tinctures are typically just the sulfur, the essence. Now, if you understand how to make, take the spirit out of that plant, in other words, make a wine out of it, then put it through a chain of distillations until you get very high octane spirits. That is the spirit or the mercury of that plant. That's the mercurial, mercurial element that we would consider the prana, the chi of that oversoul of that particular plant species. It's the whole reason for its existence, the whole consciousness projection into congealed matter in the first place. That's the canvas that then will be used in order to incorporate the inorganic and organic elements that create eventually the whole plant and the resonance that will make those things come into the form and function of that particular plant. So now you've got the spirit. Now you take that plant essence or that plant matter and there's different ways to do it and to concentrate it greatly, depending what your goal is, and to remove the essence, that essence we call the sulfur. That's the individualized soul, like, you know, you, Mark, myself, Mike, you know, we're all individualized essences of the creator. So the plant, the plants have more of an over over soul kind of thing, but each plant is going to represent that essence of that creation within the plant kingdom. So now you extract that essence with the spirit from the same plant. That's the key because the mercurial element that's responsible for the creation of that consciousness of that plant if that is used rather than just some alcohol that you buy from some other source, it's going to have a whole different effect as far as extracting the essence in a very special way. Now, when you take the plant matter that no longer has the essence in it, that has the salt, which is the body, the final congealment into form. And so you purify that and there's ways to do it. And the final purified form are the salts, which are the mathematical proportion elements that make that herb function the way it functions. For instance, ashwagandha versus jaogulan. That element, proportion of elements, is going to create a very precise resonance that is then going to be a capacitor for the resonance that starts in the heavens above, if we want to think of it that way, within the constellations, the seven sacred planets. That is then going to filter down through the ethers sequentially, and that's a whole different discussion, into its final form. But that proportion of inorganic elements is going to collect the resonance that makes that plant and its function and form unique 
with all the other types of innocent plant kingdom. Now you put all of those three things together and not only do you have the whole thing, but you've purified each of those elements. You've elevated each of those elements because you put them through many processes individually before you recombine them. Now, when you take that in your body, not only are you going to get the effects of say ashwagandha, but you're going to get it in a very potentized way in a very purified way, because that plant, you have actually put it through a laboratory process, which is akin to the ascension. And that is also going to feed the awareness in all the three aspects of your being as well. Real different than buying a tincture off the shelf at the health food store. So I don't so much go after exotic strains of herbs that nobody's ever heard of. What I do is put them through processes in order to achieve the end goal. And then also create formulations with different plants or elements from those plants to create a whole different composite in the first place. It's going to be way different than ashwagandha, even though it's got you know, either the sulfur, the spirits, or the salt from ashwagandha, or all three. And when you go back to the masters of herbalism in Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic, they weren't running things through the lab to, you know, find a chemical constituent. They were looking at things in exactly this way and becoming creators of refinement of energy. They were participating in transmutation. And that's what we, our lifetimes are about. It's a transmutation process. It's about inspection, introspection, purification, elevation, and eventually ascension. So plant medicines should really mimic that whole process. Hmm. Well, thank you for answering my poorly worded question with such a well-detailed response because that is exactly where I was hoping to go and you saved me a lot of rambling <laughs> to get there so well said very eloquent and yeah I, I think that you know when it comes to this process people will start to realize that so few of our own you know st staples what we call staples are treated in this same way you know we have all these mass-produced agricultural products that we're given in our diet and i wonder how little we'd have to rely on the medical establishment if we treated all of our food with this same process from seed to fruit you know i mean this isn't something that's restricted to herbs you can do this with an ear of corn you can do this with potatoes right well, there's a lack of the sacred in society, and that is a sacred science that Bear just explained. I guess you call spagyricism, and is, is an ancient practice that is a mimicry of the kind of as above, so below concept, right? It's a microcosm of being a part of the divine creator. And so we've, of course, been, you know, due to reductionist scientism, the religion of today, we have lost that sacred connection to as you as you rightfully said, growing an ear of corn or having a bed of potatoes, because you're right. There not only are the herbs we grow treated in this way, but they're also grown in a biodynamic fashion that is sacred. 
right? From where we decide to actually plant the seed to how the structure of the bed is geometrically in relation to the cosmos, to the stars and all of that. It's all holistic. It's all, we're all in the soup of the ether. And that ether has been, you know, hidden from the mainstream, from uh, modern science, in the modern realm of scientism. So because of that, everything has been reduced to its chemical nature. And because of that, we are sick. And so the answer, of course, is more of the same. So it's this nasty cycle of death. Uh, and, And to get out of that, what do we do? We separate, leave normie world, and we live in what people call what we call the magical land, which is just a mindset of living in a magical realm where we understand the true divine sciences and how this all works. Mm. Yeah. And it is difficult when, you know, you're one of, you know, many people who feels this way, hence the name of my show, my family thinks I'm crazy. You know, it's easy to, you know, we need to invert that title, by the way, Mark, it should be, I think my family's crazy. That would be a great, yeah, that could be a great offshoot. Maybe I'll let my girlfriend take that title on the show (laughs) and she could do that. But yeah, I I definitely feel like my family, if I could talk them into it, would understand this magical realm. They could be there. I really, truly at the center of my heart believe it. But there is so much barrier, obstacle, their own choice, their own free will. And also I've learned over the past you know, course of this podcast, like it's not my part of my destiny to control them. And and even if I think it's a solution that they may need, it's ultimately up to them to decide on whether or not they're going to do it or not. So, yeah, I, I think you're, you're spot on. We need to be able to separate from this society that's sickening us. You know, it's no measurement of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. That's a quote that I have on my website because I feel like it's exactly why this show is what it is. You know, me talking to brilliant folks like yourselves about ways that we can ultimately improve our situation here. And sometimes, yeah, it it takes sort of, you know, leaving the herd to be able to do that. Well, here's the key, Mark, from what I've found is you're right. The being the savior is never going to work because then you're also factoring ego and in your own you're essentially recreating the problem by trying to force something down somebody's throat or trying to be the savior for them. Well, that's your ego. That's your force. Now you are forcing something, right? That is violence in a way, which is interesting. However, if you actually, if we start living and practicing what we talk about, right? Walking the walk, then from what I found anecdotally, just in my life and and everybody I know that's really trying to practice what we preach, our lives are pretty groovy, man. Like we've got, we've got a, we're having a lot of fun. We're healthy. We have great relationships, building community. We're living in abundance. We're eating great food and having a lot of fun. Like I just river rafted this weekend with a bunch of folks from Alpha Vedic. Our community came up to hang out and from Music and Sky had a blast. Just such a great time. This has basically been every weekend this summer having these amazing hangouts and doing all this fun stuff. And so my point of bringing this up is that like some of my more quote unquote normie family members who aren't, you know, are taking jabs and going to doctors and 
they're really suffering, man. <clears throat> they're having a lot of problems and having a hard time. And so hopefully over time they can kind of contrast their life with our lives and see, Hey, maybe there's something those wackos are doing that's working. And maybe I should maybe start to listen to those guys and, and putting some of that into practice. So I feel like that is the best way to move forward and just let your beautiful life shine. And as an example of, you know, practicing what you preach. Yeah. Well said. Well, Dr. Bear, I'd like to hear your final thoughts. I'd also like to give you both a, an opportunity to tell people where they can go to become a part of the Alpha Vedic community, because we do have a, a large portion of our audience in California on the West Coast. So I'm sure a lot of people are out there who would love to get involved. But the best way to start is go to alphavedic.com, check out the podcast that you do. It's a part of the Alt Media United Cooperative. I appreciate you guys joining up. We need more brilliant folks like yourself shining this light in the decentralized way, independently. But yeah, what are your your, your closing thoughts, Mr. Dr. Lando? Well, we we we've talked a lot about creating parallel universes, and you know, like our farm up here is kind of a prototype to that end, but. You know, we need angels everywhere. And if you find yourself in a city, it doesn't mean you got to get out. Maybe it's where you're supposed to be. And, you know, we talked about being a capacitor, you know, like a little element, you know, that, that makes a plant medicine work. Well, each one of us is a capacitor in a larger universal sense. So if you find yourself in the middle of the city, you are then a conduit to bring in that resonance, that level of consciousness. And, you know, you, you mentioned that <clears throat> some of the cities and places, you know, around where you live, maybe, you know, in the city are like scabs. Well, you know, they need to be healed and uh, that is going to happen. So some of us are taking on the role of doing like what we're doing. Some may be in an area like, you know, where you are. Some people might find themselves in an apartment without even the front yard. That's okay. You still have a kitchen sink. You still have your consciousness that can transmute that water into making a wonderful sprout garden in your kitchen sink. You know, you can do things wherever you're at. So I just don't want people to go away from this feeling discouraged at all. How the hell am I going to do all this? You know, when I'm stuck here in the city on my job and, you know, and brings us to the final point, which is, you know, there's no right or wrong way of doing anything. There's only experience and experience is a solution. So I didn't get to where I've and presently overnight, I've had a lot of experience along the way. I also have a lot of memory of prior experiences of going around the karmic clock, you know, that are now becoming obvious as far as why this lifetime has precipitated certain things that I'm experiencing. But you take that normie, we'll call them, that's, you know, maybe just not on board with what we're talking about but they are creating an experience through that, whether they're getting a shot in the arm that's going to, you know, create a heart attack or, you know, or just all the crazy things that people are exposing themselves to these days. Maybe that's harsh, 
but it's an experience and that will bring them back to spirit ultimately. And I look back in my life, some of the harshest things I've gone through that I wouldn't want to go through again are the things I have the fondest memories about because I now in hindsight see the purpose. So just to reframe everything in that perspective, it also makes it a lot easier for us to leave each other alone when we look at things that way. And, you know, just it's a little tough when they won't leave you alone. But, you know, we deal with it. And that's part of our experience, too. So I'll let Mike finish up here. And also, Mike's much better at giving the infomercial for Alpha Vedic and everything we're doing. So I'll let him complete that. Oh, man, that was brilliant, Bear. And so perfectly said in terms of what the individual experience is for everyone in this realm and to have compassion for everybody. That is one of the key elements towards the ascension problem in the initiation of the seven initiations towards ascension. The first one is, you know, just understanding God's law and, and, or God's will. And by living by God's will and by, by living in a peaceful manner that isn't bringing, you know, pain and misery to others through your own benediction or your own like, you know, savior complex. So yeah, everybody, I, you know, I, I don't even really love the term normie, but I just use it because I think we all understand what that means. But really what, what I meant by, you know, live, walking the walk, walking the, walking the talk or whatever is, is more of a spiritual higher plane sort of mentality and you can do that anywhere so yeah we need those bright lights in the cities we need people as a systems designer i look at this as a network we're creating and we need nodes everywhere so we need nodes in the darkest deepest corners of the urban environment uh, and i have friends literally doing that in los angeles and the partners that do music and sky with me live in la and they are holding the light and there's a lot of amazing people actually that were normies just two years ago that are on our community now that have quote unquote woken up. So it's happening in droves right now. And it's very exciting to watch. And that's what Alpha Vedic really is all about in the end is an, it's an educational platform. You know, we do that through our podcast, through our community engagements on our telegram channel, but also with the workshops we are scheduling out for our community. And that is really in the end, it's, it is all about community. It's about us coming together as a large network across the across the world to spread the love and harmony that comes from understanding the true nature of this reality of the spiritual science, as Steiner called it. And so that's what Alpha Vedic's mission is, is, is obviously living by the way, living in the way in, in the best way that we can. And so we've chosen to move out here in this beautiful land, but we also have partners that live down south in SoCal like Bear's son, who does all of our design. He lives, they live down in, well, now they've moved to out, outside of LA, but they live in Ventura County because he's a surfer surfer kid and loves loves the beach. And that's great. They're holding the light down there. So that being said, yeah, alphabetic.com is where you can find us. We have a great community on Telegram, t.me forward slash alphabetic. Anyone can join that. And that is a fantastic community, amazing conversations going on there daily. We're also taking massive strides towards having our own private community on our own platform and getting off Patreon, which we currently are still using because of censorship and, you know, being in that normie world, we want to, you know, once again, walk the talk, talk, walk. So that's what we're doing with our private membership platform that's coming out shortly on alphabetic.com. You'll be able to join that. And essentially it's a full 
this custom social media apparatus. There's messaging, forums, groups, workshops that'll be going through that almost like an online university, but also a way to, to connect with others that are like-minded. And that is all through our own system, which is all open source and decentralized and will be eventually running on Cordal. Cordal, by the way, is an amazing project. Go check it out. I'm one of the founders in that, Cordal.org. We are rebuilding the internet <laughs> and rebuilding a whole new net. Well, not, we're using the original apparatus of the internet to, re, to essentially create a new network that isn't on the World Wide Web. And that's a, a fully decentralized open source permissionless platform that is not mainstream crypto. So check that out. And then what came out of Alpha Vedic for me was Music and Sky, which was just, I wanted to have in-person gatherings that took me back to my roots as an underground house DJ. So that's what Music and Sky is. It's kind of blending the Alpha, Alpha Vedic aesthetic of awareness and awakening with the, the sort of underground roots that I came from. So, you know, dancing and music and art and counterculture all rolled into one and that's called music and sky and it's been an amazing a journey with that and hopefully one of these days we'll get bear to come out and be a featured keynote speaker it's hard to get him away from the farm because it's just so much work involved with that but if you do have a lot of people in california that are your listener well guess what music and sky takes place in california we are holding the light in california we believe in the beauty of california and so it, uh, Music and Sky is actually happening again, October 13th through the 16th in the Cuyama Valley in central, the Central Valley in California, outside of kind of north of Ojai in this beautiful location. And it is a fully immersive camp out where we do everything from ice baths and yoga meditation. We go deep into things like the terrain and real law. And it's a solutions focused community, family friendly event. And we have ecstatic dance and DJs and bands. And we have a 24 seven art gallery going and just all sorts of amazing stuff. So if this is something that really is interesting. You can go to musicandsky.com. We just launched tickets are now open and your boy Chan Chance Garten is probably coming out. I'm talking with Chance to come out and do some biofield tuning workshops and some sound therapy stuff. He's super pumped to come out and hang. Mark, you, of course, have an open invitation, you. Uh, you know, coming all the Thank way you. across from the East Coast is can be a little taxing, I know, but we are actually decentralizing Music and Sky too. We'll have workshops going where we'll this this go around where if you're interested in throwing your own Music and Sky, we will basically train you on how to do that. We will support you. And so we can have Music and Skies all over the world. So we already have some people interested in doing a New York or an East Coast-based Music and Sky and also a Miami-based Music and Sky. So that might be something, Mark, you could uh, hit up easier. And that can all be found at musicandsky.com, alphavedic.com. That's A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C.com. And yeah, that is what we're up to. Right on. Yeah, and I'll be sure to link all that in the description. I hope that everyone listening follows up. And there is so much to talk about. I'd love to have you both on individually again. I had a, a weird morning, so I hope my energy didn't rub off on you guys, but you definitely lifted my spirits each in your own unique way. So yeah, I'd love to have you back on individually. And Mike, I do a show specifically about technology, so I'd love to have you on to talk about Quartal and, and what you're doing with this decentralized internet community because we need more projects like that. But for now, folks, enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for tuning in. And what a great conversation with Dr. Bear Lando and Mike Winner. You can find more from them at the Alpha Vedic Podcast. You can listen to it on whichever podcast app you're listening right now. They have a Rockfin, they have a YouTube, and they have a lot of great information and wisdom to share, as you could tell from this conversation. We got into some interesting stuff, some controversial stuff. I uh, I forgot cancer, the big C. I really do want to tackle more episodes in this realm where we're talking about uncomfortable medical subjects at least they're uncomfortable for me i don't know maybe i'm squeamish or something Uh, maybe it's because i have family members that i care deeply about who suffer from certain ailments that we might find some unsettling truths about through great conversations like the ones we had today and this week it's a great week episode 194 we're flying towards episode 200 and i have some really excellent guests planned for that big anniversary episode number Uh, we're flying through the year much faster we hit our 100th episode anniversary in october Uh, so i i'm kind of kicking up the the gas here hitting the gas kicking up speed so to speak by hitting this 200th anniversary a month sooner than we did last year. We're just putting out so many episodes, I can't even keep up with the schedule that we've set forth, and that's fine. 12 or 13 episodes a month? How many other podcasts are you aware of that even put out that much amazing content for free every month? I don't know. I don't know many. And if you have any... Get them in touch with me. I'd love to have them on the show. Maybe we can join forces and they can be a part of altmediaunited.com. I do a lot of things around here, folks. I'm trying to keep this my full-time job, and I can't do it without your support. This month is going to be tough with bills, and I have considered going and getting a part-time job in order to make ends meet. So... I might have to do that. Not unless we can get some support. And I know there's people out there who have supported generously in the past. I'm calling on you guys. Help me out if you can, if you could spare it. And I'm calling on new folks too. People who maybe you've listened to every episode. Maybe you've listened to five or ten. Whatever value I've brought to your life with this show, please send that value back because I am a real man, a real human being over here on the other end of this laptop and microphone, and I'm pouring my heart into this art. I'm pouring my heart into this art, and I don't think you guys want to hear my drama, my stories, my complaints. Maybe you do. I'll tell you what, yesterday I was mowing the lawn here at the apartment building, and the neighbor came out and yelled at me, accusing me of slamming my door. This is so ridiculous. I never slam my own front door, the front door that I'm paying for. And this woman has the nerve. She's only spoke to me twice, both times asking me to do things. I don't work for her. I work for the landlord. I mow the lawn for the landlord. 
and she's got the nerve to come after me while I'm mowing the lawn telling me, oh, you better stop slamming your door. Like I said, I never slam my door. I am a zen man. I like to keep the peace and tread quiet, tread lightly, quietly. That was frustrating, but I, as you may have heard, I have not been feeling that great lately, and I've finally got some energy back. I've been going outside. I think I'm going to go for a swim in the river today. We'll see. Just trying to make this dream come true. The dream of not working for the system. The dream of doing something fulfilling. And I know many of you out there have similar aspirations and I support you. I hope this show inspires you to take the steps you need to step outside of the norm, step out of the routine, the humdrum, the mundane, and maybe have your own Alpha Vedic farm one day. Maybe have your own podcast. Maybe have your own self-sufficient, sustainable, biodynamic property where you can support you and your loved ones for the rest of your life. That's my goal. I want to find a property like they got out there in California way. I want to find myself a little piece of the pie. You know what I'm saying? It might not be out in California way with uh, Dr. Bear Lando and Mike Winter, but it's going to be somewhere, folks. And this podcast is a vessel to take me and my loved ones there. I hope all of you can come along with me. And I hope that this podcast carries with me through that so I can consistently share my thoughts and the thoughts of all these brilliant people who I synchronistically just happen to get in touch with. There's no magic going on on my end. Yeah, I'm Mystic Mark, but I'm just following the flow that life reveals and shows. I am just following that eternal river of the ever-expanding now. And that's why I want to create the scene edition one, two, three, four, and however many we'll create to help you all understand the strange mystic philosophy that I have cultivated through my short time on the planet. The mystic philosophy that carries through this podcast, my interviews, my questions, my thoughts, all of the reasons why my family thinks I'm crazy. I've been leading a mystical philosophy uh, adamantly. I've lived my life by that philosophy. Where others may have compromised, I have not. And it's not always put me in the best situations. Some situations I had to get myself out of. Some of those situations were negative, dangerous possibly risky towards my soul's illumination. So I'm not saying I'm special or unique. I think as a matter of fact, I'm pretty normal. I think everybody can follow their own path in the way I have uh, in their own unique way. There are certain life circumstances that pushed it in for me, made it happen for me in a way that, uh, I guess I had no control over uh, martial arts, becoming a fighter in school, <laughs> and, and then having to learn how to how to get my way out of that negativity and 
become solid and sure and confident in myself. And then from there, learning how to navigate this weird society that we're in. I've had many different jobs, many different hats. And finally, I'm doing something where it seems like I'm connecting not only with my higher calling, but with many awesome people. Not just the guests on the show, but the listeners, you listening. So many of you have become supporters of this podcast, and I've gotten to know you better, and I hope to continue to get to know you all. I know I've been absent from doing any sort of uh, Zoom meetups, but it's summertime. Everybody's out and doing fun stuff. When the weather cools down a bit, we're going to do some more Patreon meetups because I want to get in touch with the people, my people, the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast people, all of you. So if you want to get involved with that, you want to get to know me, you want to get to know what's going on in the scene, because we do have a lot of that on the Patreon, sign up for the Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC and support this show, support me. Obviously, one-time donations are extremely helpful. Those can be sent via PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo. But the supporters on Patreon, you guys get special treatment. You get bonus content, audio content. You get video content. Rockfin has video content as well, but I also put that on the Patreon. So please, folks, help us out. Support us on Patreon. Support us with a one-time donation, join in the Telegram community, and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. Thank you for listening, everybody, and uh, I love you all. Have a great moment wherever you are in the now. And they don't know where it's coming from In like a hundred years We went saw a bomb with guns Check the facts, check the fed, check the stars Stanley Mines was murked for a water fuel cell car They each they own, you can stick with your old ways But eat the rich and drink the motherfucking Kool-Aid And I can see the red on your lip stain White skin, blue collar, pure American made Fuck it You can keep your blood soaked heritage And run the soul off the moon landed narrative Yeah my girl thinks that I'm embarrassing My folks think I'm nuts but never question the parenting Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots but it's all kinda hazy Good morning in the net feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm un-American and shady Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't faze me My family thinks I'm crazy Think that I'm off in the deep 
been One too many Netflix docs on the weekends But check the budget for our military defense Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason Steel beams, another 1492 And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue And you be lit off the floor, riding ain't got a clue All your dreams just shit on a Rockefeller shoes Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said Ain't one brick left to gold up in the Fed They still got bricks of cocaine to make crap Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack Talking like this, got kin talking behind backs Too much to unpack, so they talk smack And I'm just trying to converse with my clan But it ain't fan, so I'm here setting up camp Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots, but it's all kinda hazy I'm on the internet, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm on American and shady Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You can tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me my family thinks I'm crazy. Baby, baby, baby. My family thinks I'm crazy. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Just maybe. Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy. Connecting dots, but it's all kind of hazy. Come on, he's getting that feeling like I'm Dick Tracy. My pap thinks I'm on the marriage and it's shady. I'm feeling unhinged lately. Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily. You can tell me that the president's an atheist. Anything out.